1: On today's show, the World Cup, of course, underway in Qatar. If anything, we've learned for sure that FIFA cares more about money. He's also going to chat with Chief Tony Alexis of the Alexis Nakota Sioux Nation in our province, one of dozens of First Nations leaders who came together in opposition to the proposed Sovereignty Act. And we know what's going on with Twitter. All kinds of issues. So World Cup action underway. I think England was playing Iran this morning. I don't know if it's over or still going on, but it was 6-1 England last I saw. Um, like I say, not all that interested in the in in the games themselves, but I am kind of fascinated by the the decision to be there in the first place and the ongoing squabbles over human rights just being thrust aside basically because of money, I, I, I got to think. But that's the conversation I want to have with our next guest, who is Dr. McIntosh Ross, an assistant professor of sociocultural kinesiology at Western University, dealing with human rights and Qatar. Uh, Dr. Ross, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Let's just start with sort of the overarching, the big picture here. Um, is there any morality, any ethics, any integrity left with FIFA? It's pretty hard to find it at this point. Clearly, it's all about the money, right?
2: Oh, yeah. No, it, it was gone a long time ago. Um, they make kind of hollow statements about human rights uh, standards and things like that, especially when they're were, they were trying to set up the uh, 2026 event for America and Canada. In Mexico, um, but you know, it's all just on paper. They, they, at the end of the day, they'll do whatever, make sure the money keeps falling in.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, push comes to shove. First of all, why would you go to a place like this in the first place? And then I was just running down the list of things that Cutter that did in terms of building facilities and building hotels and building cities, for goodness sake. So obviously, they just showed up with the money and, okay, we'll turn a blind eye.
2: Yeah, it didn't make much practical sense. Um, you know, but at the same time, neither did, did Rio de Janeiro. They they had to plow down people's houses to make uh, well, they wouldn't call them houses. They would say they were shanties on yeah. public property. But uh, they had to plow them down and throw them out on the street in order to make their stadiums. Uh, so it's not the first time FIFA's uh, just just taking the money and said we'll figure it out later. Um, it, it, I think that the attention really needs to be put on FIFA. Yeah, Um, because they're the ones who are driving this. They're the ones who keep on making mistake after mistake and not taking into consideration anything but money.
1: I think, you know, we're all focused on some of the issues around Qatar. But like you say, you go back to Rio. I mean, even the fact that it was in Russia last time, there's a track record with FIFA sort of ignoring all kinds of outrageous human rights problems and all these sorts of things, right?
2: Yeah. And Infantino's speech the other day was just absurd, uh, basically saying, look, Everybody commits human rights. Uh, the Europeans committed human rights for 3,000 years. Uh, human rights uh, violations, sorry. Um, mm. so, so we can't criticize anybody. Um, and, and, yeah, it's important to have that context and realize that we are not perfect and we've made some sure. horrific mistakes. But at the same time, basically what he's asking us to do is never critique human rights again moving forward. I think he said for 3,000 more years. Like, what are you talking about? That's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard somebody say into a microphone on live television.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that whole that entire news conference was really quite it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, when we take a look at some of the specific instances, and and you know, like you say, FIFA FIFA is the one driving the bus here, there's no question because a number of associations, specifically European ones, wanted to wear the one love armband starting today, right, to protest um, you know, LGBTQ issues in Qatar, and FIFA told them you'll automatically be penalized before the match even starts, right? Yeah, there's two things that, concern
2: me about, uh, that are concerning me about that. It's one, obviously, FIFA stepping in and saying, no, you, you can't express yourself that way on the football field. Um, but also the fact how quickly these rich footballers folded. Uh, it really shows mm-hmm. how performative this protest was. Uh, you know, they they weren't committed to it. They're not willing to suffer any personal Strife over, over this and over other people's rights. They just they want to make sure they can still play football first and foremost. Uh, everybody else is going to have to line up and wait.
1: Do you think they were in a position where they could have affected change? I mean, the games are what people are there ultimately yeah. for. If they took a stand, could they have actually made some progress? Of course. What's FIFA
2: going to do if all the European nations and and other nations in solidarity? go on the field with their armbands on. They're just going to pull everybody off the field and say, we're not having the World Cup anymore. Of course they're not. Um, so it was a matter of sticking to your guns. Um, a friend of mine uh, I was just talking to you said, you know, uh, FIFA, FIFA bluffed, and the, the players blinked, and that's it. It's over.
1: Um, what about some of the other displays that we've seen? England players taking a knee, Iran refusing to sing the national anthem. Yeah. I mean, there are still some things happening, right?
2: Yeah, the Iranian players in particular, um, that they did that to great, uh, there's a real possibility of, of personal ramifications yes. for them um, by doing that and standing in solidarity with the, the people um, protesting in the streets every day in Iran. Um, so that was really powerful. Um, the, the taking a knee, uh, I hope other teams take a knee. I hope other teams do something. Um, But at the end of the day, they're all still going, they're all still playing. Uh, If if we're going to break down this mess that is FIFA in the 21st century, you you can't give them your labor,
1: you can't give them anything. We're talking about FIFA right now, but we know in our country we've had our own issues with Hockey Canada and we know the IOC is another absolute mess when we get into situations where we're talking about elite and we're talking about big money, is there a way of fixing this? I mean, we've got some glaring examples of, Hey, we'll put up with just about anything in the name of money.
2: Yeah. I I think as long as we're tied into this global system of elite sports, uh, that really puts an emphasis on holding these gigantic spectacles that can't possibly be held anymore. I don't think without, violating human rights uh, to get it done, we're always going to be in this conundrum. And and I don't see why countries can't start breaking ties with the IOC, breaking ties with FIFA. Go do something else. Um, You know, compete in sports uh, for a different reason. Um, You know, friendship, international solidarity. Um, That's going to help you pursue human rights goals um, and avoid human rights violations, Uh, you know, it can be tricky to avoid countries that that don't have human rights violations i know that every country has human rights violations but your events don't have to create
1: new ones fair enough what about the fact that you know canada is in the works here uh, united states mexico yeah. there's some people saying you know what canada we've got our own problems to deal with without throwing a bunch of money at at another international sporting event
2: yeah, it's frustrating. Like, uh, just, just here in, in London, Ontario, just up the road at the Six Nations of the Grand Reservation, there's people who don't have clean drinking water, and they're right between London and Toronto, Ontario. And the federal government's throwing over $4 million at FIFA uh, and the World Cup. Uh, that doesn't make much sense to me. It feels like we've lost lost focus on our priorities. It shows how hollow the government's promises to the Indigenous population are, uh, and, and it really doesn't set a good precedent
1: moving forward. Could you pick a country? Is there a country on Earth? I mean, you make a good point there, Doctor Ross. It, could you go to a country and everybody would say, "Oh, this is good. They deserve this." I mean, everybody's got something, right?
2: Yep, they do. Um, absolutely, everybody's got something that they're they're trying to sort out. Um, and and some places are far worse, sure, uh, yes. than others. Um, you know, somebody just died in a internment camp in the UK uh, for for migrants. So. Um, it's everywhere. There's going to be issues everywhere, but I think it's important that we don't go to places where a lot of infrastructure has to be built. For example, like you're not going to build a soccer stadium in the jungle, like in Rio and then never use it again. Yeah. Um, That made no sense. Um, You're not going to require basically whole cities to be built in Qatar. Um, That's going to lead to problems. Um, These are foreseeable problems that are going to come up. Uh, it would be like in, in Canada, uh, if you know, we we wanted to host it and you know have indigenous um, indigenous rights be at the at the forefront of it, at the center. There's going to be protests because we don't respect indigenous rights. Um, so so it's going to come up time and time again. I don't think it means that we should never have international sport or elite sport, but I do think it means we have to reassess how we approach these things it can't be primarily just to generate a ton of money that that's not why we got into this in the first place and some of the reasons we got into this in the first place were problematic from the start but Mm -hmm. we don't have to keep going that way we've organized sport this way by and large for a hundred years surely we can come up with something better
1: yeah you would think you would think dr ross thank you so much for your time i appreciate you being here today Thank you. That is Dr. McIntosh Ross, who is an assistant professor in sociocultural kinesiology at Western University. And, you know, what, he's, he, that, the bottom line is every country is you're going to be able to find some issue. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, he mentioned drinking water here and uh, the migrant internment camp in the UK. Every country has something. We all fail when it comes to um, human rights. But you, you take a look at what's going on in Qatar right now. And, I mean, you want to talk about violations of, of human rights, Homosexuality is illegal in Qatar. It's immoral under Sharia law. So uh, you can be punished by fines, prison, and even death by stoning. You know, so that's the country that we decided to award the World Cup to. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling Wherever you sell with Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/tech. All lowercase. That's Shopify.com/tech. the show of unity that may be unprecedented in Alberta. Dozens of chiefs from Treaty 6, 7, and 8 territory all came together last week, standing in opposition to the United Conservative Party's signature bill, the proposed Sovereignty Act, which we now know, because there was some more discussion on Friday, will be one of the first bills the UCP tables when the legislature resumes later this month under the name Alberta Sovereignty within a United Canada Act. That was uh, the message we got from the Premier last week. Um, I guess that's uh, trying to quiet the critics who call it one step towards separatism with the United Canada tagline to it. We still don't know exactly what it will entail, but we've heard a lot about it over the course of several months now, um, and it's been lambasted by, well, the former Premier, all of Smith's leadership arrivals, now Alberta's Indigenous Chiefs also voicing their opposition. To, to walk through some of the reason for that, we're going to chat with Chief Tony Alexis, who is Alexis Nakota, Sioux Nation Chief. Um, Chief, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Shay. So I think at the end of the day, we had 61 First Nations represented, all of the provinces' treaty groups uh, at this news conference. Has that, to the best of your knowledge, has that kind of show of unity ever happened before?
3: There's always been that show of unity, especially when it comes to a treaty. And as you mentioned, the treaty, the chiefs were unanimously in agreement that Alberta's sovereignty bill is unconstitutional. It's illegal.
1: I mean, is that the message? Uh, that that's what prompted this uh, the need to go public and have the news conference? You, uh, the opposition is unanimous, and it's it's the legality surrounding it that is upsetting to you?
3: Well, uh, the Indigenous people have been in this land for, for a long time, as you know and um there's also been a a, a treaty that has been um, that has been negotiated has been uh, with the with the british crown the imperial crown and if, since that time canada has taken on some of their role and then now what's happening here it's more diluting or separating from the initial intent of what the treaty was for so that of course has awakened the you know has has awakened the the interest or just for the for the first nation people to to oppose this. There's been no consultation. We want to make sure that that's clear. And then then as of Friday now, the government wants to consult. So after all Mm -hmm. of this has happened, they weren't even thinking about speaking to the First Nation people until Friday.
1: Yeah, I want to get to that consultation piece in a second. First of all, though, we're not a hundred percent sure what this new bill might entail exactly. I mean, we've got a pretty good idea, so I'm not saying you're you're going off half cocked here because clearly we know what 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 this is all about. What what? How do you know? Like, what do you fear it will do in terms of treaties, existing treaties, things that have already been negotiated? What areas of concern do you see specifically?
3: Well, the. What what we're afraid of, I mean, what what we are observing is right now the government of Alberta rarely, if not, speaks to the First Nation communities. And if there if there if there's nothing that's holding them to um, to be accountable, they would completely just walk away from us.
1: Consultation, none. There was no outreach. There's been no discussion with any of the groups in Alberta about this situation prior to where we are today.
3: Yeah, there's been no consultation, absolutely none, and and it wasn't until the chiefs, you know, had, had a press release on a Friday, a late Friday day, that um, that the government wanted to respond to to the First Nation communities. Nations.
1: And and are you open to that? Because you're right. I mean, saying that she's instructed the ministers to to begin consultations immediately is that something you're open to?
3: You know, right now, I think when when there's a, an elections happening, there's a lot of issues that are always on the table. I mean, there's a lot of you know we're a part of elections, they're a part of elections, and something like this would not would not be uh, would not even be welcome in our communities because it's too close to an election. It becomes a political football, and this is something that they should defer even the consultation defer till there's a, a new government
1: in place. Um, I, I'm wondering if you've had, sorry, go ahead.
3: Yeah, if there's an when there's a new mandate, I think it's an opportunity to discuss uh, what the future looks like. But at this point, I, you know, you know, our our, our view is that uh, this should just be it stopped. One, we we're not we're not in support of it whatsoever. At the uh, uh, government going into an election, this just becomes a political football that's not useful.
1: Um, the the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations in Saskatchewan took similar action uh, recently when Scott Moe, the Premier in Saskatchewan, brought forward a similar bill. Have you consulted with them? Is there is there a partnership forming there in terms of working together against these kinds of political moves, or has that not happened?
3: No, that that work is underway. Like that's happening, so we're reaching out to them, and and they're sharing the information that they have, and we. We recognize and inform. We don't have all the details yet, Shay, but we're told that it's, it's similar, but it's not the
1: same. Right. So. Where does this go, Chief? I mean, we had the news conference and we had the expression of opposition uh, on Friday. Where does it go from here?
3: Um, right now, I'll share with you, Shay, that I just spoke with some spoke with elders today, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're totally afraid, and to to hear them uh, step up and to speak in that way. You know, an elder in our community is like a a PhD doctor at the University of Alberta, someone with a PhD doctorate. Mm-hmm. So when elders speak up in that way and they're totally afraid, it's something that we have to pay attention to. I've also had an opportunity to speak to some of the Albertans throughout the weekend, and they're saying something different from from their government. So there's there's much work to do here, and where we're going to go is that, you know, we need to find out what what this sovereignty bill is, this act, and then. Uh, you know, for us, we, we don't want to see it.
1: Um, I, I want to ask you about another thing that happened on Friday, and I, I don't know why this even came up, to be honest with you, but as you know, Danielle Smith has spoken often about her Cherokee heritage. Uh, that question was asked, I'll, I'll just play what happened at the news conference and then I'll ask you a question. For years, Danielle Smith has claimed that she has Indigenous heritage. Um, <laughs> Uh, the delegates, the chiefs in attendance, broke out in laughter at the mere mention of her talking about her Cherokee heritage. Um, what's your understanding of why? I- explain that to me.
3: Sure, that It wasn't the chiefs that were laughing. there was people in the gallery who. Were, okay, who fair enough. That good. And they were laughing at that. And um, but you know this this um, issue with the sovereignty act was the important agenda item that we wanted to speak on. It was unfortunate that the media wanted to bring that out in that way when there's much more important things to...
1: Fair enough. Uh, We we can leave it right there then. Uh, uh, Chief, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Shai.
1: That is Chief Tony Alexis. He is Chief of the Alexis Nakota Sioux Nation, and as I said, 61 First Nations took part in the news conference that happened on Friday in opposition to... Um, the proposed sovereignty act, which, as I said, we now know is being called the Alberta sovereignty within a united Canada act. Just a fascinating weekend. I, I've admitted before I spend far too much time on Twitter, and uh, I'm one of those people that sort of—I think it's there's—it's because of what I do by and large. It, it's it's a wonderful source for. You know all kinds of news. There's no question about it. Plus, it's really become a big part of watching hockey too. I mean, there's a whole community that's sprung up around, you know, Leafs Twitter, Bruins Twitter, Oilers Twitter, Flames Twitter. It doesn't matter. You got these interaction. You you get to know people. It, it's it's a whole new component to a lot of the things that we do every day. So it's been fascinating to watch what's been going on uh, in the past, I don't know, two, three weeks. Now, the big development over the weekend, you might have heard it in the news, was Elon Musk allowing Donald Trump back on the platform. He did a poll. He did a Twitter poll. And Trump surprisingly narrowly won. Um, but uh, he did win. So Elon Musk says, okay, Donald Trump, you're back. You're you're allowed back. And <laughs> the amazing thing is Donald Trump said, um, nah, thanks, but no thanks. The social has been very, very powerful, very, very strong. And I'll be saying that, but I hear we're getting a big vote to also go back on Twitter. Yeah. He says, yeah, I'm not really interested in going back on Twitter. I'm fine with my truth social platform, which, okay. Um, And then Elon Musk sent out some really bizarre stuff last night about that. But I mean, it's sort of, it's fascinating to watch. I don't know what will happen. Here's where we are. As you know, Musk has fired half of Twitter's staff. Then he issued an ultimatum to those that were left, prepare for what he called hardcore working conditions, or it's time for you to go to. A lot of them did, a lot of them left. Um, so he shut the doors down for the weekend and said they'd get started back at it again today or tomorrow actually, I think. Um, And all kinds of things have just been happening constantly around this platform, which is used by millions and millions and millions of people around the world. So where do we go from here? That's the big question. We're going to have a conversation now with Philip Mai, who is a senior researcher and co-director of the Social Media Lab at Toronto Metropolitan University. Philip, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Shay. It's been so interesting to watch this and sort of, you know, try and anticipate where it might go. We, of course, had the RIP Twitter hashtag going last Thursday. Still here. Do you think it stays? I mean, is there a chance that Twitter will go away after all of this? Um, Maybe yes and no, uh, because from a technology
0: perspective, uh, Twitter is basically built, uh, you know, the... Technology fat. its one layer on top of each other. If you—it's like playing uh, Jenga. You pull out pieces. Eventually, the tower comes tumbling down. Whether that be this weekend, or, I mean, coming weekend, or uh, a year from now, we just don't know. It's just they've hired so many people. Well, uh, they the started thing. out with about 7,500 before the um, layoff and now they're around 3,000. So, I mean, those 3,000 or so that are now gone, they did something there.
1: <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? I mean, if you, if you remove half of any company's workforce, it's going to affect their performance. So far, is there any indication that things are starting to crumble a bit?
0: I mean, you're seeing minor stuff, like for example, it takes longer to load up the timeline sometimes, um, just minor stuff like that. but these things are cumulative. Over time, um, you're going to find that um, it might take a little bit longer. Remember the early days of Twitter when you often see the fail whale um, image when things don't work, and sometimes it comes back a few minutes later, a few hours later, and sometimes a day later. And I think going forward, we're probably going to see more of that. It's going to be a bit like Yahoo, where basically it's still around, but it might not have the same force that it uh, have had in the past, simply because the other thing is that people are moving on. Um, we yeah. see that with uh, people moving on and looking for alternatives.
1: Do you know? Is, is there anybody out there that's moving into the space? I know some of the former Twitter employees had said, "Hey, what about if we just go out and build Twitter without all the things we don't like about Twitter?" The people who have the experience and sort of built that platform—is, I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, obviously. But do you know? Is that kind of work already happening? Well,
0: supposedly Jack is working on something, and he'll be announcing it uh, sooner than later. So we're waiting to see what he's been working on. Um, so that's one possibility. But there, like this, for example, there's an app uh, coming out of uh, India that's trying to go international called Ku. They've been bombarding people um, who are tweeting things like you know, delete tweets and stuff like that every time you uh, mention something about that or or. Uh, Uh, they will uh, use their bots to join the conversation. says, hey, give our app a try. And then, of course, there's Mastodon, um, that's also making a big splash. Um, And some people are starting to move over to that, but like I said, right now, that's a trickle.
1: Getting back to Twitter, a lot of people said World Cup, which has kicked off now in the past couple of days here, that's going to be a big test because the, you know, the platform exists. Like you said, if you want to call it a big Jenga tower, it's there, it's existing, but once it runs into this problem or that problem and they start to accumulate and there's nobody there to fix them, that's when things get sketchy. So do we know? You know, are there certain areas that are just, they don't have staff anymore? What kind of problems do you think could really, really make things precarious for Twitter?
0: Well, um, like I said, because of big events that are coming up and elections and so on, um, it could be, get to a point where the load on the system is so much that it comes crashing down. But the problem is that to get it back up and running, you need a team of people. And some of those people to uh, you know, get it back up and running are not there anymore. Um, so it might take a little bit longer for them to get things up and running when things break down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, one area. And the other thing is they basically uh, revamp how they have decided to do moderation going forward. So a lot of actors are basically are right now just testing and seeing what are the new boundaries. Um, because certain things were um, you know, taken off because they have system in place to adjudicate that and make those decisions. But right now, the only person making that kind of decision is basically Elon. Uh, right. He's the final stop. Um, so you're going to see a lot more bad actors trying to test out the boundaries. What are the new rules? Or what are the new play? You know, in this playground?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, in terms of the new rules, aside from the technology side of it, you've also got the fact that it's a platform that needs revenue. It needs to make money. And the list of big, big advertisers who have said, you know what, we're out, continues to grow day by day by day. I mean, eventually, it runs out of money, doesn't it?
0: Eventually, it will run out of money. But like I said, advertisers are fickle. There, A lot of them are um, taking a breather right now, but I think they're waiting also to see how the dust settle. Yeah. Because if he goes through with his plan to basically eventually turn this over to a more professional manager to do the day-to-day, um, the person might be able to turn the ship around, or if he's going to be one of those uh, bosses that, uh, you know, lord over the new CEO and he or she might resign within 30 days after taking the job, then we're in for another round of chaos.
1: <laughs> Which, like I say, it's been interesting to watch. I don't know ultimately where it ends up, but um, are, are you migrating? Are you checking out other platforms? What, what's, where, how do you feel about things right now?
0: I'm also taking a um, um, <laughs> wait-and-see attitude, simply because there's really nothing out there right now that can really replace what Twitter has been able to deliver to the user. Yeah. It's excellent, for example, for, um, uh, during emergencies. I mean, when there are fires in Canada, um, in the north, and in and, and B.C. And, and Alberta and stuff like that, that's where emergency services you know, uh, they bypass the media and go directly to uh, their followers. Um, that's probably the fastest way to get information out right now. So, th- they provide that service that I don't think anybody can replace. I mean, you can go into like a WhatsApp group, but then only the people on your WhatsApp group yeah. uh, will know whatever it is that you're sending out. And if one of those people want to share it with a different WhatsApp group, but that takes a long time for information to spread. Twitter, on the other hand, can get that out, and through serendipity, you don't have to follow me, but if I use a hashtag and you happen to look at that
1: hashtag, you're going to be able to find yeah, that. It'll come up. Yeah, you'll, you'll run into it, no question about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me, just before I let you go, what about Mastodon? Does it have that? I mean, I understand you have to build sort of groups. I mean, how does that work? How far is its reach?
0: Right now, uh, they just announced that they now have about 2 million active users. But just in context, Twitter has about 400 and something million. Um, So it's not even a grain of sand on a beach at this point. Um, But it is gaining some traction. But there are some issues with Mastodon. Um, Basically, what you're doing is you're trading in big Elon for a lot of little Elons. (laughs) Each of the Mastodon instances or server is run by a volunteer. Like if I decided to um, turn one of my server into a Macedon server, I can do that tonight and then invite Randalls to just join my server. But if I don't like what they're saying,
1: I can shut them off. You just boot them off. So it's like a moderator exactly. almost.
0: Well, I would become the moderator because I'm the owner of that instant and I get to decide um, what's A-OK on my server, and if you don't like it, you can move yourself to another server. But here's the thing that a lot of people don't know. If before you move yourself to another server, but the home server that you happen to be on decided to suspend you, guess what? You can't move. That's the thing that a lot of people don't know about Mastodon. You cannot move if the um, the administrator of the home server that you're on decide to suspend you for whatever reason. So now if you want to move, you would have to physically go to another server who will take you, reset up your account all over again, find all of your followers, because you can't export all of your followers. Because if you were not suspended, then you could of course just set up a new uh, account on a different server, and then ping back to the old server and says, hey, I'm over here now, transfer all my data, all my followers, and all the people I follow over. But guess what? That doesn't happen if the home server Have suspended you.
1: So So we're basically
0: thirty days. Get the race. (laughs) So
1: somebody. I mean, all kinds of different people basically have total control over other people's Mastodon profiles, and they control them.
0: Right, so man, there is a built in mechanism to uh, police the system in the sense that, for example, all the on server can choose to interconnect with each other, so this way, if I'm on one server, I can connect with somebody else who is on a different server. but if one of the server administrators uh, don't um you know, allow content that are objectionable to other admins. Those other admins can basically put that server on a blacklist and says, "Hi, I'm not going to federate with you. <laughs> I'm not going to connect with you." So basically, as far as I'm concerned, you don't exist. You don't exist. So yeah.
1: guess
0: what? Right. So um, there is a built-in mechanism, but that takes time for a for bad actors to build up enough bad action for other people in the network to say, uh, "Yeah, I don't want your neo-Nazi stuff on." polluting my server. Right. So guess what? I'm going to block you. But that takes time. But there is a built-in mechanism for in the system to weed out bad actors on Mastodon. But again, it takes time. It takes time, and yeah. And also to, you know, to propagate, because basically they, they create whitelist and blacklist of you know Mastodon servers that are um, there for child porn. They're there for terrorism or whatever else, right? So when enough other administrators says, uh, yeah, I don't want that stuff to infest my server, they can choose to block
1: those servers, right? And they just end so up...
0: There's a built-in mechanism. But like I said, it's, a lot of people don't realize that the server could be sitting on somebody's um, uh, bedroom, and that person get hit by a bus. There goes your master on account.
1: <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Philip, I'm out of time, but I appreciate you being no here. Problem. Thank you so much have a good one you Bye-bye. too uh okay so mastodon sounds like it's got its issues too thanks for listening today if you hear any of our other interviews you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcast if you like what you hear don't forget to rate and review us